When a parent sends their child to school, they expect to see them come home. Sure, we've all seen the news stories with the names of kids that were killed in class by a disgruntled student, but that doesn't happen near you. That feeling of security was taken away from hundreds of families in Brampton, Ontario in less than four minutes. I'm Stephanie Gick, and this is Ominous Ontario. Wednesday, May 28, 1975 started like any other spring day. It was warm, the sky was clear, and students were skipping class to take advantage of the spring day. Michael Slobodian was one of those students, but today his English teacher called home to tell his mother he was not in class. Michael walked in the door to his home at about 10.40 a.m., where he was met by his mother asking him why he had skipped. He said it was a mistake and he was going to go in and sort it out. Michael went to his room, changed to military gear complete with beret, and packed two rifles in a black guitar case. One was a 22 caliber semi-automatic. The other was a 444 caliber lever action rifle. He left behind a note offering very little explanation for the horror he was about to unleash on the school. That note read, to whom it may concern, my life is now gone to pot. I'm going to eliminate certain people from this world. Those people are Mrs. Wright, Mr. Bronson, and any other sucker who gets in my way. I am then going to kill myself so as not to be imprisoned. I am not insane, but just strictly fed up with my life. I am not getting anywhere, and it's my fault. I love my parents and my family, and I know that they love me. Michael Peter Slobodian. He then left the house and headed back to school. Seeing him walk in with the guitar case was not unusual. Michael had a passion for drumming and guitar. He didn't really have any enemies, and many people liked being around him. He headed straight to the washroom and loaded his guns in the stall. Opening the door at 11.35, three boys were the first to face the rampage. Michael Gabot, Richard Shadrick, and John Slinger were each shot by Michael, and John wouldn't survive long enough to leave the school. Michael then left the washroom into the busy hallway. Lunch was starting and he began to shoot at anyone he saw. At first, students thought it was a prank or a play. The gravity of it hit quickly though. Soon the hall was thick with screams of terror and the smoke of gunfire. Michael made his way to his first intended target and entered the classroom of Margaret Wright. She said his name before he shot her in the chest with the 444. One student standing behind her jumped away and was hit in the hip by the exiting bullet. Had he not moved, he too would have been shot in the chest. Leaving the classroom, Michael decided his second target would be spared. While horrified students looked on, Michael put a rifle to his head and ended the rampage he started only four minutes earlier. The principal called 911 at 11.39. It was the first recorded high school shooting in North America and still the most deadly high school shooting this country has seen. One student would go on to be a comedian and actor. Scott Thompson, best known for Kids in the Hall, was witness to the tragedy, and he lived on the same street as Michael. 
He was pulled into a classroom by a teacher where students were desperately trying to break windows in an attempt to flee. Pam Slinger was just arriving at the school when the shooting began. She was a mature student and immediately attempted to help the severely injured Mrs. Wright, who was still conscious. Another student had also been shot in the leg and Pam was helping him too. Terrified, when she asked if he wanted her to join him in the ambulance, he said yes. What no one knew yet was that Pam Slinger's son, John, had bled to death in the washroom. The Slinger family ended up moving out of Ontario just three years later, saying they were haunted by the killing of 17-year-old John. Margaret Wright had just been married and was not originally from Ontario. She was planning to transfer to a teaching position in Nova Scotia as soon as she could. Margaret remained conscious and was speaking to police and doctors, and because of this, there was some hope that she could be saved, but the damage proved to be too severe. Margaret Wright died in the hospital from her wounds. Police would not clear the scene for over 30 minutes, leaving students and teachers inside terrified that there may be another shooter roaming the halls. Once cleared, they were led single file past the body of Michael, who still had 52 rounds of ammunition in his pockets, and they were told not to look. Parents who were listening to the news on the radio were anxiously waiting for their kids to come out, and some kids just collapsed on the grass when they were finally outside. Scott Thompson would later tell the star that the whole thing was surreal as it was happening. It wasn't until the next morning when he saw the newspaper that he finally cried. This would be one of his only moments of release. The reality of mental health in 1975 was about to rear its ugly head for hundreds of students involved. On Monday, just five days after the shooting, classes resumed. Blood was still behind the water tank in the boys' washroom and bullet holes were still in the lockers. The day started with a simple announcement. In this earthly existence, we may never unravel the mystery that led to the tragedy that befell us last week. And then classes resumed. No counseling was ever offered by the school or by the police and the whole incident was not spoken of. In 1975, it was widely believed that it was best to just move on and not dwell on it. So these kids suffered in silence and some of them for decades. But why? What caused Michael to do this in the first place? Reporters waited outside to speak to his family, and oddly, they decided to send their young daughter out to answer the questions. The footage is absolutely heartbreaking. You can see the pain and confusion this young girl is feeling, trying to answer for what her brother had just done. Everyone agrees that he had no real enemies. In a heartbreaking twist, many people would even say that John Slinger, whose life Michael took in a bathroom, was likely his closest friend. Michael was an avid hunter, and the guns he had were something you could buy at any sporting goods store once you were 16 or older in 1975. He was a normal boy who moved to Brampton 12 years earlier from Montreal. Brampton was not the huge suburban community that it is today, so in 1975 the population was just over 98,000. Today it stands at 635,000, so quite a large growth in this time. Back then, the police had never had to deal with gun violence. Michael was recently getting into a more military mindset and had cut his signature long hair. He never did or said anything to cause alarm to family or friends, and teachers had great things to say about him. The only real issue that they had were his absences. 
But his personal finance teacher said he was an excellent student, active in class, and was achieving marks in the 90s. His shop teacher pointed out that he did make a gun rack, but also that he was a hunter, so this wasn't unusual. At the time of the massacre, Michael was making a stereo shelf for his brother as a wedding gift. One teacher was surprised, Ross Bronson, a science teacher who was named as a target in Michael's suicide note. When asked if they had ever had any issues, Mr. Bronson said only the absences, but there was one thing that may have triggered Michael to add Bronson to his list. Michael had been working on a science project for an upcoming fair. His project involved removing the hearts from frogs, then keeping them alive by shocking the organs with electricity. He had been working on this for some time and had come very far with it, and then it was rejected from the science fair. This was not the decision of the school. A recent animal cruelty law had been passed in Canada, and the project was disqualified because of that. It is not clear if Michael understood that or if he blamed Mr. Bronson for the project being rejected after so much work went into it. The part that shocked many people was that the high-powered guns used in the murders were something that anyone over the age of 16 could obtain at any sporting goods store, like a Canadian tire. The Premier of Ontario at the time was Bill Davis, who was shocked not only because school shootings simply didn't happen, but also because his daughter was a student that was at school that day. He knew something had to be done to change the ease of which people could obtain guns. Because of this shooting, gun control laws were passed in Canada in 1977, which introduced requirements for safe storage of firearms and introduced permit requirements as well as banning certain types of firearms. It also raised the legal age to purchase firearms from 16 to 18, with a minor permit being 16 up from 14, and a licensed adult required to be present and store the gun. School attendance recording systems were also implemented following the shooting, making use of an automated system instead of a personal phone call home from a teacher to report an absence to parents. It took three decades for survivors of the shooting to find a place to talk. A Facebook page was formed and many finally spoke of the pain and the trauma of that day. Because of this Facebook page, the Brampton Centennial Memorial Committee was formed by survivors. Together, they raised money for The Healing Place, a sculpture created by artist Mary Ellen Farrow. The sculpture was unveiled in May of 2017 and consists of three stone benches. One has a statue of an adult consoling a young person. One has the name of the sculpture carved into it, and the third is inscribed with the words, On Wednesday, May 28, 1975, all of us learned to love one another just a little bit more. One bench for each life lost that day. Officially, there are three people listed as having died. John Slinger, Margaret Wright, and Michael Slobodian. Thirteen others were considered injured. One, however, one of the first to be shot, Michael Gabot, took four bullets in 1975. In 2013, he died of cancer, cancer that was attributed to the lead from the bullets that were still inside him. Some students still experience flashbacks of the shooting. Scott Thompson has told journalists that he can't be in a room with balloons because the popping sound is too close to the guns from that day. Scott also told a reporter with the Toronto Star that he has found inspiration from such a dark moment. 
He said that on the night of the Columbine shooting in 1999, Mrs. Wright came to him in a dream telling him to dance with her bones. It led him to write a dark comedy about a school shooting. Another student, Derek Gooby, went on to work for the Emergency Task Force for the Toronto Police, where he educated students in what to do in the event of a school shooting. I personally remember after Columbine, armed intruder drills becoming normal alongside the standard fire drill. The yearbook from Brampton Centennial in 1975 has two parts that are stark reminders of the massacre. The first page of the yearbook has the same message found on the Healing Place Memorial. On Wednesday, May 28, 1975, all of us learned to love one another just a little bit more. The second reminder was the photos of the students themselves. Placed side by side are John Slinger and Michael Slobodian. Real life friends, now a memory and a question of why, forever hanging over the school. Perhaps the thing I appreciated the most when researching this tragedy was the community reaction to the Slobodian family. There was no real public outrage or blame towards them, and his funeral was attended by many mourners there to support the family in their moment of grief. In 2021, when you hear of a school shooting, it's easy to immediately think of the United States and the schools whose names we should never know. Columbine, Sandy Hook, Virginia Tech, we tend to forget that Canada isn't immune, and in 1975, we had the displeasure of being the first recorded high school shooting in North America. I'm Stephanie Gick, and thank you for listening to this episode of Ominous Ontario.